Welcome, welcome to Spring Hill Online, and yet today, for the first time in weeks, we are in the building, and uh, so grateful to be with you in worship this morning. Um, we've got our team back, uh, and, and um, it's just good to make steps towards us worshiping together publicly uh, again. I want you to invite you online. I've, I've got the, the screen up here. Um, I can see your comments again, which is fantastic. Tell us where you are worshiping from, who you are worshiping with. Um, we want to to just uh, welcome you uh, as we gather together, though we're dispersed. Uh, we have so many things to be thankful for um, this morning. Tell us this. Um, let's answer one question together online, if you would. This is the question I want to ask us. What is one lesson that you have learned from all this coronavirus? What's one takeaway that you have from the last six weeks? I mean, you know, this morning, as we were just rehearsing for worship, um, one thing that popped into my head is to never take for granted uh, just the idea and the concept of worship uh, again. And so, um, like I said, it's so good to be with you today. Um, let me just, I want to just give a couple of quick announcements. Um, as you say hello online, um, a couple of things that I want us to, to know. Um, the first is this, we are still in phase one of a four-phase plan to worship together in public. Um, the first phase, of course, is online only, but we're back in the building. Um, our elders continue to reevaluate. You know, the good news is we have, as of this morning, nine days without a new case in our valley, um, and so that is good news, and uh, hopefully we'll be moving to, to new phases um, soon. But for now, continue to join us online. We anticipate Mother's Day being online, um, which brings me to my second point, which is we're going to celebrate communion on, on Mother's Day. It's really creative. Um, thanks to Mick Mueller and our elders for coming up with this idea. We actually have packets. I don't know if you can see them this far away, but little tiny packets of grape juice with wafers attached. They're all in one, one piece. And um, I want to invite you this Wednesday to come and, and join me uh, 5 to 7 p.m. I'll be out uh, at the Bozeman site. Um, you can come by in your cars. I'll have gloves and a mask on, I promise. I'm going to hand you these if you'd like them. Otherwise, you can use grape juice or wine or, and bread from your own home. And then Sunday for Mother's Day, moms, we got a gift for you. We're going to take uh, communion all together. Um, and so just so many things to be grateful for, um, one of which... We want to do today is to recognize our college graduates. Um, first of all, my apologies from the world to you. You have been robbed of, uh, of so much celebration. We want to do just our small little part this morning uh, in recognizing your achievements. And as I look through this list of our college grads and what you have done and where you are going, um, it made me want to read Dr. Seuss, Oh, the Places You Will Go. So that's your assignment today. Go read that. Um, but let's just celebrate this together. The first one I want to celebrate is Tess Anna Laura. She's graduating from MSU with a BS in Business, International Marketing, and Entrepreneurship. She plans to go to Galway, Ireland, of all places, uh, this fall to pursue her MBA in International Marketing. Congratulations, Tess. Uh, may the Lord go with you. Max Steiner who is graduating from MSU. Max has a BS in mechanical engineering. He plans to move to Dallas, Texas, uh, far from here to pursue his career. Max, one piece of advice, Tex-Mex, okay? Tex-Mex, you don't get it up north, but this, as soon as you get down there, get you some queso, brother. Congratulations to you. Uh, Cordell Walters, listen to this. Cordell Walters is graduating from MSU with the highest honors, a double major in criminology and psychology, and a Spanish minor to go with it. Cordell uh, plans to enter the U.S. Navy, and as uh, always with our Walters family up at Legacy, uh, man, you just continue to shine. Congratulations to you. 
Dana Van Dyke, who just came home from Canada. Welcome back stateside. Dana is graduating from the School of Alberta Ballet in Calgary. Dana, uh, I have to say, you have lived every little girl's dream. Uh, my five-year-old Taylor just asked for ballet lessons yesterday. I'll be calling you this afternoon. Congratulations. Curtis Jackson is graduating from MSU with a BS in civil engineering. He plans to be a field engineer for Manson Construction in Seattle, Washington. Fun fact about Curtis I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Curtis. I started with Curtis as his youth pastor in sixth grade uh, down in Katy, Texas, and then he came up here to MSU, and uh, I told him, man, those mountains are calling my name, and sure enough, uh, the Lord stepped in and called too just uh, about a year later um, when I called the church to ask him to take good care of Curtis. So Curtis, um, it's been an awesome ride, buddy, and uh, I wish you the best in Washington, come back and see us. Finally, Amber Halstead, a graduating MSU with a BS in mechanical engineering. Gosh, these people are smart. With a minor in, in mechatronics. She plans to work at a local firm in Bozeman. Congratulations, you get to stay put. And is getting married in June, properly social distanced. Congratulations to all of our graduates. We have so many things to give thanks for this morning. Let's continue and worship. Will you worship with us? All right, feel free to say the call to worship with me. Good morning. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. Jesus, the name that charms our fears, that Thank you. 
but I know we'll be able to see each other again soon. Now, boys and girls, for today's lesson, I brought this with me. Do you know what this is? It's a blanket. It seems normal, right? Like a normal blanket. But once I do this and tie it around me, I have a question. What does it become? It's a cape. Oops, it fell apart. <laughs> it's a cape, boys and girls. You're right. Now, who usually wears capes? Superheroes, you're right. Good job, boys and girls. So you're probably wondering why I'm talking about superheroes. Well, boys and girls, in today's lesson, we are learning that there are a lot of heroes of faith in the Bible. And in today's passage, it's a long one, but we are in the book of Hebrews, and we're reading chapters 11 and 12 today. And while I'm not going to read them all to you, you can watch the Sunday school videos or read them by yourselves. I will summarize. It talks about all these heroes of faith, like Abraham and Moses and David and Rahab, and how courageous they were because they had faith in God that he would get them through whatever situation they were going through. Now, boys and girls, I know right now is a little bit of a scary time, and it can be a little bit hard, but boys and girls, if we just have faith like these people in the Bible that went before us, we know that God will get us through. Because boys and girls, I have one more question for you. Who's the biggest superhero of them all? Who do you think? Shout it, who do you think? Jesus, you're right. He came and, ooh, excuse me, he came to earth and saved us all from our sins by dying on that cross, boys and girls. Now, I do have one passage I want to read from you, and this is from Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Boys and girls, will you bow your heads and pray with me? Can you repeat after me? Dear God, 
Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us the greatest superhero of all time. Please help us to be bold in our faith like the people who went before us. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you boys and girls and I'll see you sometime soon.
beautiful singing. Thank you. Thank you for the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I tell you, um, you know, I saw there in the Facebook comments, we asked at the beginning of our worship service, what lessons have you learned? And, and uh, one of us, uh, Mick Mueller, said, uh, we've learned that God is in control. And, uh, and that is so true. Thank you, Adam, for uh, sharing the Apostles' Creed. What a reminder that the, the God who is from everlasting to everlasting is still with us, still in charge, still watching over us, and leads us uh, still. And, uh, and so this morning, um, we're continuing on in this, uh, this sermon series that we've, uh, we've called Courageous Leadership in Uncertain Times. We're studying the book of Nehemiah together, and I want to be really clear. Um, this is not a series for the coronavirus drama. Uh, this is a series about life because if you think about it, life by and large is uncertain. You know, the last six weeks have really been a reminder of that microcosm of reality. And so the question that we've been studying together is how do we lead others in the midst of shifting sands? What does a biblical witness of grounded leadership look like? And to answer that question, um, we're looking at the story of Nehemiah. So I just want to recap where we've been so far. If you've missed uh, one or two Sundays here and there in the last few weeks, um, just give me one minute here. Um, the Israelites are taken captive by Babylon. Jerusalem is destroyed, and through a series of events over many years, Nehemiah, this Jew, becomes cupbearer now to the Persian king. A new empire is in town, obviously, and somehow this Israelite has made it to the top of the foreign nation. If you think about it, that's quite a feat in and of itself, right? And, and life is good. Nehemiah has it made except for one thing. Nehemiah learns of the ruins back home. And he's wrecked by this, right? Like he mourns and he prays for months over this. And with God's help, he makes this bold request to the king to go back to Jerusalem, his homeland, and to rebuild and he's granted this request, but soon after Nehemiah arrives, in fact, the moment he arrives, he finds he's not among friends. Every neighboring country to that city is against him. So last week we learned what is my favorite part of the story, which is he sneaks out in the dead of night to go and look over this, this, this wall, and he notices and he sees this massive work that is still left undone. And as we open up to the, 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 the lesson this morning, we're going to open up to chapter 4 together. We're going to find Nehemiah in an overwhelming situation. And here's what we're going to look at together. Here's the, here's the question for us today. Um, how do we lead when life becomes too much to handle? How do we lead when life becomes too much to handle? So let me pray for us, and then we're going to open up chapter 4, and we'll jump in together. Will you pray with me? So God, we, we know that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too high or too low. 
too daunting of a task, God, but, but you are, as we said, from everlasting to everlasting. And so we just pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would give us wisdom and guidance for uh, the days to come. God, we thank you that you are still with us, that your word promises by your Holy Spirit that you are near. And so, God, we just ask for for anyone who is in a particular need of a word of encouragement, that as we open up your word, which is the word of encouragement, that you would lead us today. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. So let's read chapter four together. Listen to this. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, Nehemiah says, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish this up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they became angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard of protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest part of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemy heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and the other half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on their work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon 
at his right hand. Friends, this is the word of God and it endures forever. What an awesome story, huh? I, I love the book of Nehemiah, it preaches itself. And before we jump into that though, I, I, wanna, I wanna begin this morning with a story about a small town in an overwhelming crisis. The date was August 21st, 1883. And most of us have no idea what that date means or how it changed our world, but if you were from Rochester, Minnesota, everyone remembers. It began on a hot summer day in this little wheat crop town and the humidity was at an all-time high. There wasn't even a whisper of wind in the air. Blue skies, not a cloud in sight. But that evening, the summer heat did what it always does in the Midwest if you've ever been there. The skies transformed in these dark, ominous clouds. And just as the sun began to fade over the horizon, the locals said you could hear the wind chimes begin to sing out the alarm. Within minutes, everything went pitch black. You could see the debris flying in the air as this tornado of historic magnitude was now desolating the entire city. And in an instant, Rochester was changed forever. 30 people killed, 200 people injured, one third of the city was gone. I've always wondered, how does a city come back from something like that? Like where do you even begin to pick up the pieces? What, what would be your first step? Because if you think about it, life is easy when, when we see the tracks ahead and all the wheels are steady and on the line. But what do you do when the train literally gets blown over and the wreckage is seen for miles? This was Nehemiah's predicament. Unlike Rochester, his tornado wasn't a natural phenomenon. His devastation was the result of war. And unlike Rochester, no one was rooting him on. No one wanted to see the town of Jerusalem rebuilt. So Nehemiah sneaks off in the middle of the night to look over this wall of his beloved town in ruins. The gates were burned to the ground, the stones scattered like rubble, and if that wasn't enough, the situation ahead was even more daunting. See, first people laughed at his attempts to rebuild. Like, can you really bring a wall back to life from those heaps of burned rubble? And you have to love biblical insults. This is one of my favorites. They told him, your wall couldn't hold a fox. Like, ooh, that's fighting words. But it wasn't just the mocking. Every attempt to rebuild would soon face direct opposition from the people. And it didn't matter what direction Nehemiah looked, right? No one was for him. Our lesson tells us Sanballat and the Samaritans opposed him from the north. Geshem and the Arabs opposed him from the south. Tobiah and the Ammonites opposed him from the east. And the Ashdodites opposed his every move from the west. He was surrounded. Every direction was opposed to restoration. See, and people don't like change, right? And this particular change was a threat to the nations who wanted a piece of the regional pie. It was a scene that would make even the most seasoned leader want to give up. Let me make this super tangible for a minute. Um, what's made you want to throw in the towel lately? As I said, the story, the scripture really isn't about COVID. And yet at the beginning, I would say of this saga that, that, that came among us just a few months ago, it was almost as if we thought we would take a brief pause and huddle up and then life would go back to normal. And yet now we can't even walk into a Costco without standing in line for 30 minutes and wearing a face mask. I know somebody's saying amen out there. Just the idea of progress and, and forward momentum feels like a farce, right? 
Everyone is, is sort of spinning their tires. The word irritation has now replaced the word fear. And I feel like if we really took a look around and we took stock of our lives right now, we could probably all paint one another a picture of the rubble that's in front of us. Life isn't nearly as simple as it was eight weeks ago. And if you really pondered it, for some of us, it's an overwhelming kind of scene. There is an uptick of frustration in the air. And so if you're over it, if you've moved on, you're probably in good company. And yet there's still wreckage in front of us. And back in Minnesota, those who survived that storm left behind devastating reports. The path of destruction had spanned 25 miles. Bridges were destroyed. They were snapped in half like matchsticks. The famous town mill was now half standing. Horses and cattle strewn across the land. Those who made it spent the night carrying lanterns, they said, from sight to sight, looking for any signs of life. Can you imagine? But when it comes to an overwhelming scene, like sometimes it's not all that dramatic, right? Well, let me just give you an example. Um, one of the things that fascinates me more than anything as a parent is just how quickly my kids can turn their room upside down. Like, it is amazing to me how in one hour a preschooler can somehow play with every toy, cut up every piece of paper, try on every dress in her closet, and suddenly not have enough energy to clean it back up. Last week I walked right into my little girl's room after quiet time, and I'm looking around at this devastating scene, and I literally just tiptoed back out and shut the door. Like, where do you even begin to, to clean something like that up? It's not just the tornado. It's not just the coronavirus. It's not just the economy. We all have something in front of us that, for whatever reason, overwhelms us. Maybe it's a relationship that's so messed up you don't know how to untangle it. Or maybe it's a job that you realize is stagnant but you don't know what to do next. Maybe it's your health and you know it's deteriorating, but now what? When you think about Nehemiah, he's now tackling a massive cleanup, right? An, an unprecedented restoration, and he can't even find a friend. Just before our lesson in chapter 3, God's word gives us this unique look into the landscape of Jerusalem. In fact, it is that chapter that allows us to understand how Jerusalem was built. It walks us around the wall, gate by gate, and as you read it, you realize just how dire the situation was. Forty leaders set up. Over 45 sections of the wall needing to be repaired. Men, women, soldiers, priests. And here's the fun part. As they begin their efforts, first they're laughed at. And as momentum builds, the taunts soon turn to threats. Look at this from verse 11. It says, And our enemies said, They will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. Like, it would be so easy right now for Nehemiah to just give up right here. It would be so easy for him to throw in the towel and head back to the Persian courts with the king. Remember, he had status. He had privilege. He had safety and security. He had it made back in the king's courts. So how is it that Nehemiah stayed the course? I want to offer just three reflections on this chapter that might help us answer this question. Uh, the first is this. Nehemiah was persistent in prayer. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago, you know we've already touched on this. You're going, here we go again. But it's important for us to soak on this for a bit longer because this is now a theme throughout the book. Nehemiah's prayer time is not just a day or a week or a month. It is a lifestyle. 
And as people are laughing at Nehemiah and he's overwhelmed with the task before him, listen to how he responds in verse four. Hear us, God, for we are despised. That's his first reaction. You know, I think so often in life, um, our prayers often come after we've tried to handle the situation, after we've exhausted all of our other options. And yet the Bible gives us a completely different pattern. It says, pray without ceasing. I think we forget sometimes that the struggles that we face in this life are not just from flesh. They're not just against flesh. They are not just practical challenges to be overcome. But our struggles are against powers of darkness and evil itself, Ephesians 6 tells us. So Nehemiah, he doesn't begin by engaging the opposition. He doesn't begin by throwing an insult back at them. Uh, he engages God. He goes to the one who knows immeasurably more and can do immeasurably more than anything we could ask. See, it's worth re-examining together our persistent or non-persistent prayer life. Which really brings me to the second point, and that is that Nehemiah made a conscious decision to remember the Lord. I saw a quote this week from a colleague that I think strikes at the heart of our lesson today. He said, remember, a passionless leader leads a passionless following. A passionless leader leads a passionless following. Here's the challenge, right? And wherever you find yourself leading others, when we go about this life on our own, the hurdles in front of us will wear us down every time. Like Nehemiah knows full well how impossible this situation has become. Even his followers have all but given up. They're an anxious wreck. Listen to what they said. They told him, they said, wherever we turn, they're going to attack us. It wasn't as if the wind was being taken out of their sails. It was as if they were taking down their sails altogether. And I guess what I'm saying is life is exhausting. A life of fear and anxiety will wear you out. A life of reaction will wear you down. But a return to God is the foundation of where we begin to find our strength again. So Nehemiah stands up, right? And with this passion in his voice, he tells God's people, this is not the time for fear. This is the time to remember the Lord. Did you catch that? Look at this in verse 414. You look it up in your Bible or Google it. 414, he says this, and I looked out and arose and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then this is my favorite part. He reminds his followers of why they're here. He says, do this for your families. Do this for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and do this for your homes. You know where the threat of burnout hits us the most? Whether it's leading a business or parenting or grandparenting, sitting on a board, coaching, teaching. You know when it is that we begin to lose our passion? It's when we forget why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. That's burnout. Let me just define the concept a little bit more. Um, burnout is to be completely consumed and thus no longer aflame. Burnout is to be completely consumed and thus no longer aflame. You know, when I saw that bedroom just strewn with toys and I closed that door, like I was burned out day after day of cleaning up the same mess. But here's the question that comes to mind as I shut the door. How am I gonna get my little girl to clean her room if I can't do it with her? So here's the question in an overwhelming situation. How do we come alive again? And I think Nehemiah gives us that answer that we return to the Lord. 
that we remember why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. Look at this from Isaiah 30, 15. It says this, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, And returning and rest you shall be saved, and quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. You know, I think one of the greatest opportunities COVID has handed us is this ability to step into a new pattern of life. By nature, humans are habitual creatures, right? They say on average it takes 66 days for us to make a practice a habit. And like that, all of yesterday's patterns are gone. So the question is, how in the next 66 days will we make the Lord a habit again? What patterns do we need to build back into our lives to put him first again? What what does it look like to remember the Lord again? Brings me to my third and final point, and that's this. Nehemiah only perseveres with God. He does something really peculiar halfway through this chapter. He begins arming his men for battle. Did you see that? There was this enemy that was on the prowl and something had to be done about it. And so he instructs every one of his men to carry their materials in one hand and carry a weapon in the other. And everybody's gearing up for what's next. But did you notice who's doing the fighting? Listen to this from verse 20. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, he says, and our God will fight for us. I think the hardest part about uncertainty is that we don't know what's around the next corner. And in that fatigue, if we're not careful, we'll forget that there's an enemy who's ready to attack. He doesn't want progress. He doesn't want to see your life restored. He's actively seeking to see you left in ruins. Here's what 1 Peter 5.8 says. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but if we want to preserve in this life, persevere in this life of uncertainty, it's as simple as asking God to fight for us. The Bible says to take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's how you defeat an enemy. That late summer tornado devastated Rochester. It was a hopeless scene. There were countless of people who woke up the next morning ready to give up, to move on, never look back. The town didn't even have a hospital to care for the wounded. I mean, imagine that. But there were three doctors in that town, three men who could have walked away but felt called to stay the course. You've never heard of the storm, but I promise you, you know their names. William Worrell and his sons Charles and William, their last name was Mayo. And as the three began to face their own overwhelming scene, they built a makeshift shelter for triage. And the shelter soon became a temporary hospital. And after some time, the hospital became bricks and mortar. Years later, the bricks and mortar turned into multiple buildings and soon into more hospitals. And today we know it well, it's called the Mayo Clinic, a healthcare system that serves over a million people every year. Can you imagine if they quit? Three things this week make prayer a lifestyle. Make the Lord a new habit and press on not with your own strength, but with his. Let me pray for us. I want to pray for our offering. And um, you can give online. You can give by check. We'll have uh, Misty and our moderators. Cody, thank you for putting that uh, in the Facebook comments. And uh, let me just pray for us. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for your love for us. 
We thank you for your strength that you give us when we don't have strength on our own. We, we thank you for leading us so that we can follow you wholeheartedly. And God, I just pray for those who are weary this morning, for those who feel weak, Lord, that you would bless them and keep them, that you would give them encouragement and endurance to run this race that is set out before all of us, God. And in those moments where we're not sure what to say or what to do next, we pray, lead us still. God, we ask that you would bless this offering. We thank you for gifts and tithes and a time of uncertainty like this as, a, as an offering to you that says, I trust in you despite what comes tomorrow. I don't know, but here it is. Here's my gift. So God, we ask that your kingdom would be known here on earth as it is in heaven. God, we ask that your will would be done as it is in heaven. Lord, go with us, lead us still. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. I am so uh, grateful to have worshiped with you this morning. Um, and we're sticking with what Hebrews commands us to do, which is not giving up meeting together as some have done, uh, but continuing to meet on Facebook, and we can't wait to meet in person. I hope to see you this Wednesday. I'll be out in the front of our Bozeman site uh, ready uh, with, with the elements of communion. I'm excited to see your faces 5 to 7 p.m., and then we will take communion uh, together um, next Sunday. But now as you go uh, out from wherever you go today, um, let me invite you. If you're with family, take a hand for the benediction. We don't do a whole lot of touching these days. And hear this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Go and serve the Lord. Have a great week, guys. Blessings.